The defending champions are still fighting for Never Lose Takes Some Looking, but keeps on ticking. Canada is being represented by La Belle Provence this year, and the Golden Knights are betting on themselves to win it all. We break down the final four, analyze what went wrong for the teams that are still not playing, and evaluate big-time performers to watch. Episode 273 of the Lace Em Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. We will get to the obituaries. Just a quick uh, little bit of housekeeping notes for you. Um, We are aware that there are some minor headlines like uh, Ray Shero finding a new gig, uh, Brad Larson becoming a head coach. Uh, By now, you all know where that is. Um, We'll delve deeper into those stories next week we also know that the nhl awards will be unveiled starting monday so when we know who won what award i will break it down later on within the next week or so um but uh the reason we're showing those topics is because we have a lot to dissect and uh why don't we start with everyone's favorite team outside of toronto montreal the boston bruins Brits. they're unfortunately on the obituaries yeah yeah i um well, first off, I, I do want to mention that, yeah, I think the big reason why we're just sticking with the obituaries and the previews is because when we did this the last time, it took yeah, us... it went almost, too long. It yeah. went way too long. Um, and, you know, not to take anything away from Brad Larson, um, or uh, I think we even have some, like, Jack Eichel update stuff. Um, oh, yeah, there's yeah. that. Which I'm sure we'll even have more updates yeah. on that. True. We, we could possibly have that. That's true, too. I, I figured it makes sense to uh, to just focus on the playoffs um, at the moment, and we'll, we'll talk more about the awards next week uh, when we just have to talk about the two series that are going on. Um, so, yes, the, uh, the Boston Bruins are going to be the first team in this obituary um, unfortunately for me, um, it's, it's strange. I would, I went through the five stages of grief <laughs> this past week, which is like, <laughs> I was in denial. Then I was in, I thought it started yeah. with, anger. no, I, with uh, being angry. At the well, yeah. I mean, that was both denial and anger. Um, and then depression, uh, when I was just like, okay, maybe we should get rid of Don Sweeney and, and all that stuff. And, um, I guess, what's the other one? Uh, well, the acceptance is the last one. I think, um, oh, it's like bargaining or something. So I, I guess there was a little bit of bargaining, but it was mostly anger and depression <laughs> um, uh, for the most part. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, I don't want to make it into like the Boston Bruins show. So I do want to keep this short. Um, I think I said this even last week is that you know, I could complain about the refs, particularly, especially that last uh, game when Kyle Palmari uh, hit uh, a shouldered Charlie McAvoy in the head, and it wasn't even called, it wasn't even a penalty, um, they sh- he should have been suspended, um, and it was a blatant uh, in- intent to injure. McAvoy, l- luckily for him, he, sh- he showed up and all that stuff. Um, 
But, you know, the more that I think about it, the more the time passes, I started to realize, like, all right, this Bruins team, um, like, you know, like, this Islanders team is very, very good, uh, clearly. Um, and, yeah, they probably got away with some calls. But even if they didn't, like, the Bruins still had to, like, you know, <laughs> um, convert on power plays. They still had to do that. And, and like, yeah, it was unfair that they got all those different penalties, but the Bruins could have killed all those penalties. And supposedly uh, Tuka Rask had a, um, he was playing injured, which you know how much I hate, um, but like he had something wrong with his hip, which is very scary for a goalie because that's something that you really need. Um, Actually, a torn labrum. Yeah, but it was, but it was in his li- his hip. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was a torn labrum that was in his hip. He'll have surgery, and that means that he'll be out till February. Which, by the way, it's just like. <laughs> oh, out until February. Yeah, or like, I think oh, that's what wow. they're saying. I think that's what they're it's, saying. It's yeah. more than just the first month of the season. It's yeah, yeah. It's bad. it's a lot. It's Oof. it's it's pretty bad. Um, Thank God they have swag, man. But on the plus side, uh, Tim Thomas had a, had a similar injury in 2010, um, and guess what happened the, the next yeah. year? So, so you have to you have to think that Tim, like you know, obviously Tuca is probably not Tim Thomas, but he could be. Um, so, so that I do have some sense of like, okay, maybe maybe this is something that will make him a lot better than he already was. And like, there were some games, even in the Islanders series, where he was the best player um, in net. And if he was, like, even, like, 80%, it's just, like, I can't even imagine what he'd be like at 100%. So um, hopefully, um, and I know he's a UFA, but I think all intents and pers- purposes, they say that he's going to come back um and we'll get into free agency stuff in a second, because um, I know Steve has stuff to say about that as well. But, um, but yeah, I, I think like just like the fact that like yes, I could blame the refs, and um, they were probably the most inconsistent refs I've ever seen in a series. Um, but at the same time, the Bruins just just stunk. <laughs> like uh, the Islanders just found a way to shut down the top line. Um, and as good as Taylor Hall has been, and as good as David Krejci has been with, you know, since Taylor Hall has been in the lineup, um, it just, it doesn't matter. Cause it's like our, our defense fell apart. Um, I think I saw somewhere or it was a good take too, is that like Brandon Carlo got injured, um, in game three, I believe. And um, just the Bruins just never recovered after that. And, um, since he was out and Brandon Carlo is a very good shutdown defenseman. Don't get me wrong. But if he's like the, the main reason why your defense stops playing well and conti- like falls apart, then that just shows like a larger issue, um, at hand and something that the Bruins should address in the off season. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about the Islanders in during the previews, but they were a good team, and it's not, like, shocking. Like, I guess I kind of overestimated them um, or underestimated them. Um, and, uh, yeah, they they look good, and I, I think right now they're even beating the Lightning 2-0 um, in the third period. So 
Um, so, so I guess uh, they're even giving Tampa Bay uh, fits, and you know, I was just worried that the Bruins were gonna like were gonna even win a game against the Lightning if we went past the Islanders. So, um, so yeah, it, I I think it just shows that I don't think we would have beaten Tampa um, if we gotten past the Islanders anyway. So, um, I'm I'm more or less accepting of it, but it's still. It's it's tough to watch that that game or that series, <laughs> and, and I can't even watch the other series because that's the Habs. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I guess we'll talk about the free agency stuff and what they what they should do in the off season. But do you have any other thoughts on this on the Bruins in their obituary right now? Well, uh, while we're on the topic of officiating, let, let's talk about that some more. Of course, uh, Bruce Cassidy talked about it after game five right. uh, the infamous new york saints comment and was probably fined twenty five thousand dollars now not the first coach to be fined twenty five thousand dollars uh for what he said during the post game i believe brendan moore was fined i think during last year's playoffs same thing with uh, tortorella after last year's playoffs so it's 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 rare but it's it's not new it's 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 been done before um but Cassidy felt that he had to do something because his guys weren't getting the calls. Uh, he was critical that ahead of game four, especially um, after Barry Trotz, head coach of the Islanders, accused Bergeron of cheating on face-offs, which and I, I feel like that's more of like a strategical tactic. If, you, if you're actually that serious, then go to the Board of Governors and ask them to change the aspects of face-offs and like actually show them evidence of Bergeron cheating. If you're that dead set on calling out this guy then then you go all the way you don't just say it and then just like yeah what uh what what do you guys thought that was from last year get over it <laughs> so I, I i don't know how seriously i take those comments about bergeron but here's what i do know is that heading into round three the islanders had drawn 43 penalties and taken 39 so that's only a plus four differential when it comes to penalties drawn versus penalties taken. In the first two rounds, during that same stretch, Boston drew 44 penalties and took 48, which is a negative four differential. However, they still drew one more penalty than the Islanders did. And if you want to take a look at the actual six-game series between those two teams, Boston took 20 penalties and the Islanders took 18. So... Only a differential of two there. So, now, if you want to talk about the rest making the right calls consistently, that's that's a different that's a different conversation because that I turn it back to uh, Jordan Stahl's goal in the National Series that probably should have been a goal but was overturned for reasons, and and that just points to the amount of inconsistent officiating that we've seen. It's it's nothing new. We've seen it before. It continues to happen. I'd like it to stop, but no, I guess the no league is perfect. So I, I, it, 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 it happens to as many teams in this league as the next. So um, I, at, at the end of the day, when I look at what Boston did, they got outplayed in the scoring depth department. Like, I'll give you a few examples here. Tuka Rask played very well in the series. In the first three games, he was solid. The tides started to turn a little bit, and that's because 
of the depth guys showing up for the Islanders. Paul Mary with four goals and two assists in this series. Barzell, three goals, three assists. Pajot, two goals, four assists. Two goals, three assists for Bailey. Five assists for Noah Dobson. A goal and four assists for Jordan Eberle. Brock Nelson down the stretch played a sleep game four because he's a new dad. And, you know, you don't get much sleep after you're a newborn dad. Um, but down the stretch in games five and six, he was clutch for the Islanders thanks to that dad energy. And you also have Bolivier with four points and Sizikis and Letty getting three points apiece. And then four other guys, one of which was Clutterbuck, one of which was Leo Komarov. They get two points. That uh, quartet of Pellet, Pulak, Clutterbuck, and Komarov combined for eight points in this series. And the only skaters on the Islanders that did not get a point in those six games with Boston are Matt Martin and Anthony Green. Everyone else got at least a point. So... The scoring by committee is what did the Bruins in. You had a handful of players, I would say more than a handful, like six, seven, maybe eight players on the Bruins with zero points in this series. That's just straight up not going to cut it, especially when some of those guys are guys are hoping to step up and put up points. Taylor Hall, I believe, had two points in this series, which is all right, but not really good enough in the six game series and Nick Ritchie, who was good at times this season, yep. didn't get it done against the Islanders. Same deal with Jake DeBrusk, even though he had his moments in the playoffs, didn't get it done against the Islanders enough. And this is where ultimately the Islanders had the advantage is on an off night, they could go to the other goalie and turn the series around. It was like that in Pittsburgh when Varlamov got off to a rough start. They put in Sorokin, and he stops 185 of 198 shots, and the Islanders win that series in six games. Sorokin goes 4-1. Varlamov this time around, it's his turn. Six games, 169 saves on 181 shots, or in five games, I should say, and he goes 4-1. So literally... They start with one goalie, doesn't work out. They go to the other goalie. The other goalie catches fire, and they come back from 2-1 down and win the series. This team just isn't phased by anything. And it's why I've consistently said, don't doubt this team in the playoffs. And I, I learned my lesson after that Pittsburgh series in 2019 that this team, regardless of who they put in the net, has a coaching style, has a method that works, that yep. gets results in the playoffs. And they just proved it again. It's nothing that the Islanders did or didn't do. It's just that they're that good of a team yep. where no tap is big or too small. They just find ways to get results. Yeah, I'll never make fun of Fort Never Lose again. So, um, <laughs> now you and now I know. Um, we did win in the fort, but uh, but not the. We didn't and, win the and, battle. And it was a great snipe by Brad Marchand. But yeah, yeah. They, again, they just find a way to bounce back somehow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think. Um, and then you mentioned the Cassidy uh, comments of calling them the New York Saints. Um, yeah, I think I think at the time I I did I did feel that way the same way as him in terms of like. It did feel like the Islanders were getting away with a bunch of stuff. 
Um, and then, you know, I think you even pointed it out when it was happening. It's just like, this is probably going to anger the refs even more. Um, and I think it was also like he, he made similar comments after uh, beforehand where he was talking about the refs. And then uh, that's when Barry Trotz had talked about Patrice Bergeron um, and how much he cheats at the faceoff, which is ridiculous, by the way. But I, I think then in that game, game five, we see that like Patrice Bergeron was taken off of the faceoff dot uh, like multiple times the entire game. So I could I can see why Cassidy is frustrated by that because like, you know, and it is crazy to me that like I know this is probably a Homer take, but bear with me here. I, I think yeah. you guys are aware that I'm a Homer. But the like the fact that like yes, he gets fined for twenty five thousand, that's not surprising or anything like that. But Barry Trotz goes at Patrice Bergeron. And by the way, Patrice Bergeron He's like the greatest face-off guy of all time. He's won multiple Selkies. Um, I mean, right now it's like he's, he's, he's probably not as good as he used to be. He may not win it this year. But like he has, like he's there, like he's in the Hall of Fame just purely based off the Selkie. Like, you know, forget everything else he does. Like his face-offs, he's probably one of the best face-off guys in of all time in the history of things. So to, to criticize him and accuse him of cheating is probably like, is going against the NHL's integrity as a whole because he's basically the Selkie trophy. And, and if you criticize Patrice Bergeron, you're criticizing the Selkie and anyone who ever votes for Patrice Bergeron. And the fact that he didn't even get anything from the NHL is just ridiculous to me. And, it, like, obviously I know it's purposely because he wanted the refs to look at it. And it worked for him, but it didn't work for Bruce Cassidy, who, like, didn't get any calls for two straight games. So, well, yeah, and, yeah. And on top of that, like, Department of Player Safety even, like, I believe Krejci and Richie were both fine. Yeah, Mary that was ridiculous fun. too, yeah. To McAvoy, right? Yeah, yeah, that... Palmieri wasn't even looked at for, for cheap shotting Charlie McAvoy. I, I, I yeah. will say that that was a play that I think is worth at least a game. Yeah, it's like... like that, that, that's contact with a head. Yeah, believe me, I understand the, the Bruins are not the most liked team in um, in the NHL. But when you, like, I've had, like, or I've seen a couple of, like, opposed, like, fan bases that aren't Bruins fans in the slightest. And they're saying, like, yeah, this is unfair. So like, so that that part of me it does frustrate me, but it's it's just uh, like I, I feel like even if the refs were calling a fair game, I don't think um, I don't think the Bruins would have won anything. Um, like it wouldn't have mattered too much because the Islanders were just a better team. Um, and uh, so it should also be known in Game yeah. Six, the Bruins had more power plays than the Islanders, and I told yeah. you. As the series goes on, the refs tend to put the whistles away. Yep. They didn't call much on either side. I, I will say, though, that like I would have rooted for the Islanders if it was like a nice series. But <laughs> I, like Barry Trot, after Barry Trotz uh, accused Patrice Bergeron, the god of, of cheating, I'm like, all right, I, I, I can't deal with this. <laughs> I'm rooting for wh whoever won Vegas and Colorado, which ends up being Vegas. So I just... It's just, uh, 
like they're a good team. They just uh, um, it just frustrated me to hell with that. So um, and Bar- Matthew Barzal last week that was crazy. I talked about that last week too. But Matthew <laughs> yeah. Barzal just like cheap shotting David Krejci, and then David Krejci gets fined. Um, even though like Matthew Barzal doesn't get fined for any of his cross checks or even gets penalized for any of that, um, that's ridiculous. Um, and, and for the record, like I I get that you're um, like you know all the penalties that the Bruins had are were fair things. It was just the fact that the Islanders didn't get anything. Um, it makes no sense. Um, so, anyways, let's go to the free agent stuff. For the Bruins here, because it is a little bit interesting um, in their off-season stuff. Because we have a couple of UFAs. I say we, but uh, you guys know what I mean. Boston has a couple of UFAs and RFAs um, to deal with. Um, the main. I would three... say this is this is a bigger sticky situation yeah. than handling the officiating. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, so uh, UFAs. Uh, the big three UFAs are uh, Tuka Rask. David Krejci and Taylor Hall. We've talked about this a, a bunch of times before, but those are the three big UFAs. Also, and, Uf- and to put to put into perspective, by the way, before we get on a tangent here, I looked on Cap Friendly for the highest uh, previous cap hit. The Bruins make up three of the top five. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, so uh, so those three are the biggest UFAs. Also, UFAs are uh, Sean Corrali. Uh, Greg McKegg, Anton Blith, um, Mike Riley, Kevin Miller, uh, Stephen Camper, G- Jared Tenorti, and Yaroslav Falak. Um, as for RFAs, um, there's Andre Cache, Nick Ritchie, uh, Trent Frederick, uh, Cameron Hughes, uh, Zach Seneshin, um, Brandon Carlo, um, and Nick Wolf. I guess Callum Booth, I don't know if he's ever actually played, but it says here that he's an RFA according to Cap Friendly. He's probably below the depth chart of Dan Ballatter, who's yep. below Jeremy Swayman. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, oh, that's how it's listed even on Cap Friendly here. Um, so so here, I, we've talked about this a lot uh, before that, like, so the Tuca, Taylor Hall, and Krejci are probably the big free agents, and I feel like. Because you have to still sign Brandon Carlo, you still have to sign Nick Ritchie. I think you probably have to sign Andre Cashy just to see what he has left in him. Um, and Trent Frederick, too. Um, that one of David Krejci, Taylor Hall, or Tuka Rask are gone. Um, unless, however, uh, just based off of the post-game press conferences, all three of them have said that they love Boston, they consider it home, and they don't want to go, they don't want to test free agency, which is good news. However... Well, especially for Taylor yeah, Hall, right? Especially for Taylor Hall, yeah, that's great. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just stinky, because it's like, like, we finally get this winger for, for David Krejci, someone that we've been looking for ever since we signed David Krejci to this huge contract of his. And then, it's his last season... Um, on his contract, and then we get we finally get someone that like they work well with, and now they're both free agents, and it doesn't look like we can sign both of them. So, so that part of me is thinking like, okay, maybe, um, 
maybe it makes sense to not have David Krejci just because then we can save money. We could bring up Jack Sinica or something like that. But then on the other hand, it's just like David Krejci, like you don't find that many centers like him. Um, so he would be tough to replace. Taylor Hall, I, I love. Um, and he's been like, it feels like he's been a Bruins for Bruins player forever, even though, you know, he's only played a couple of games, but um, like he's the prototypical, like when we got Rick Nash, when we got, um, I guess, again, love was good for a year for us. Um, when we got, um, I think Rick Nash was the other one, yeah, that like, or Yager, like, like Taylor Hall was like who we were expecting those guys to be. And, um, and so we finally got that guy. Um, and, you know, and as I just talked about, I know that we have to address the defense because we still didn't, like, uh, replace anyone from Chara or Tori Krug. Um, and I, I hope Tuka stays, but I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes, considering that, like, we don't have... Uh, like Jeremy Swayman looks like he's he's going to be good, and I would assume we'll get like another veteran player, or we could ride with Daniel Vladar as the other guy. I don't love taking like, making Swayman the starter right away at age 22. That seems a little bit risky, kind of like what happened to Carter Hart or Matt Murray. Yeah. Um, so so I don't love that, but um but yeah if Tuka. David Krejci or Taylor all just all take discounts then um I love it um and um and and yeah I think like the thing that I was thinking of as well the other point that I wanted to make is that like Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand are um two of our three best players right now um however they're 30, uh, Patrice Bergeron is, I think he's 30, oh yeah, he's 35 years old, Brad Marchand is 33, um, and they still, you know, uh, Bergeron has one more year left on his contract, and, um, and he'll probably still be a Bruins for life, so there's no worry in that, but, um, Brad Marchand has a couple more years left, um, but I, like, like, it's, it's very rare for players of those ages to be this good at this point in their career. So you have to like, like the thing that I, I feel like they're like, I think they have one more year where they're at this elite level. And then after that, you're, it's, it's not going to be as pretty and we could start to actually start to rebuild or, or figure something out in that regard. Um, so, so I feel like this last year is going to be, the time when we have to uh, make it count. Like, I don't care how we do it, just, like, like trade every prospect we have um, just so that we can have a shot at the cup. Um, and, you know, I think I was calling for Don Sweeney because I feel like on the fact alone that he, like, the fact that he filled in uh, the replacements for Chara and crew was to get a... Um, like a zombified version of Kevin Miller and Mike Riley <laughs> in the middle of the year, uh, that's just not going to cut it. I mean, of course, those two guys are tough to replace, but that, that ended up being our downfall. I mean, of course, you don't like expect like the fact that um, 
Brandon Carlo got injured and Kevin Miller got injured, I guess you could kind of figure that Kevin Miller could get injured. But just the fact that, like, as good as Charlie McAvoy and Matt, Matt Grizzlick are, um, they're not, like, they're, like, you know, the only good players um, in terms of, like, offensive players who can play some defense. And Brandon Carlo can play some offense as well. But, yeah, my point that, like, uh, Don Sweeney needs to figure out the defense. Um, I know a lot of Bruins fans are calling for him, and I could see it. I wouldn't be opposed if it's like Jeff Gordon or something. But, um, but yeah, I, I feel like I feel like we have to like start looking at the future of our team um, while also trying to contend this one last year. Yeah, and that's going to be a tough task uh, for sure. I, I would like to see Krejci stay. Obviously, Taylor Hall, um, it's fortunate, and, and, and getting back to Don Sweeney for a sec, it's fortunate that Don Sweeney only had to give up Anders Berg in a second because he gave up a first-round pick for Andre Kasha. <laughs> yeah. The, the main reason why Taylor Hall went to Boston is because he wanted to go to Boston, he, and he forced Kevin Adams' hand. He says, yeah. I want to go to Boston. I'm executing my uh, my clause. Do whatever you can, but just get me to Boston. It's like, uh, I guess this is all I can get for him. So, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Enjoy, uh, yeah. Uh, enjoy Taylor Hall, right? So, well, he, I, I will say he does deserve credit for Taylor Hall. Um, yeah. And, and all that stuff. And, and even Mike Riley, too. That was a nice pick, too. But, um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I feel like the fact that he just didn't address the defense at all, um, when like he knew Chara and Crew were most likely on the way out, it seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, and and you look at teams like Montreal, I I know you don't like them, but look at Ben Sherrod and what he's done in the playoffs. Yep. Look at Joel Edmondson and Eric Gustafson. They have a lot of defensive depth that they're yeah. able to shore up on for, for cheap prices. And it's the same with Vegas, where they have, like, Alec Martinez and Nick Holden and Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore and Braden McNabb. Like, they're they're loaded defensively. It's the same with the Islanders with Bullock and Dobson and Pellick and Scott Mayfield, who's shown a little bit of offensive upside in, in his own right. So it, it's, it's a common theme with the final four teams that they have a lot of everything on the back end. And that's something the Bruins lack. So it's, it's definitely not a coincidence that um, the Islanders were able to expose that Um, the two Karask injury, if they keep him, that's a little bit unsettling because now you're dealing with him for like half of the year. I, I like Tuka Rask. I like what he's done with the Bruins. He'll be a Bruin for life regardless of what happens. But I think out of those three, he's the most expendable because of the amount of notable UFA goalies that are available to choose from. Even if you get Peter Morazic on like a two-year deal to buy Jeremy Swayman some time, that's great. Because I definitely think Jeremy Swayman's the real deal, and he's the starter of the future with the Boston Bruins. But they can't rush him. They need to give him a bit of time. I also think, and I'm going to keep mentioning his name because a lot of teams would like him, Blake Coleman. Maybe he'd yep. be a fit on the Bruins. I would seriously consider finding a way to ship out Jake DeBrusque 
maybe Nick Ritchie as well. Maybe Andre Kasha depends. I, I just think their depth forwards, there's a lot that uh, is leading to be desired. And I think Blake Coleman is one of those guys that can do whatever you ask him to. And he's a very versatile guy. And he would be perfect for the Bruins. Obviously, it would be great to keep Taylor Hall and add Blake Coleman. Right. Um, but they're going to need to to move some of the cap to make that happen, obviously. Because yeah. a lot of bidders are going to be going in on Blake Coleman. And I feel like one of them might overpay. Um, but Probably. if the price is right, I think the Bruins uh, should be in on that. I, I feel like the Bruins should uh, start to, if they're going to get a free agent, I, I think they would try to address the defensive side of things than, right. um, than the forwards. But yeah, you're right. Blake Coleman would be a, an ideal pick for them just to solidify that depth piece um, for, for that part. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, it, it is funny that you feel, it feels like you, you suggest Blake Coleman for every single team. Yeah, I, I, I've noticed that too. But it's because he's good, and when you put him yeah. on a good team like Tampa with a lot of forward depth, yeah. good things happen for some yeah. reason. So if it can happen in Tampa, it can happen on a lot of good contender yeah, yeah, teams yeah. as well. All right. So I said that I, I didn't want to make this into the Bruins show, and we talked 30 minutes about it, so um, we'll, we'll stop. Um, so now the next team on our obituaries are uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Um, they, um, it was interesting for the Winnipeg Jets this this playoffs. Um, I guess it was, it's kind of similar to the Bruins too. It's that like they had, a, obviously they had a really good first round. Uh, they swept the Edmonton Oilers. Um, it looked like they finally figured out the defensive side of things and um, and then they were going to take Montreal and yes, of course, and then they get swept by Montreal. Um, and yes, uh, they don't. They didn't have Shifley for that entire point or games two, three, and four. Um, but if you were watching any of those games, it's like, um, like the Jets could barely do anything <laughs> against Carey Price, um, and and that's like. And yes, Mark Shifley is a good player. Um, he's probably their best player. Uh, he's you know he's an elite player. Um, at that but to say that like you know the fact that like you can't beat this Montreal team with or like even win a game against this Montreal team just shows how like uh, bad this team was like if you even remember like game one they were gonna lose and Mark Shifley even play that game so um, yes, you could probably blame the fact that Mark Shifley didn't play on this loss, and that was probably a significant part. But at the same time, the Winnipeg Jets just barely showed up at all during that series. It felt like they kind of like transferred. They they took all their energy on beating the Edmonton Oilers, and then they just forgot to play all of a sudden um, in the next round. Um, and and obviously, I don't want to like overestimate Montreal. Carey Price was unbelievable. Uh, Nick Suzuki was playing out of his mind, and so was, um, what's his face, uh, Tyler Toffoli. But, um, and, and Kotkin and Emmy, they just kept on finding ways to score goals. Um, and, you know, Connor Hellebuck was keeping them in it for some of, some of it, but, like, the Winnipeg Jets just weren't playing so well. 
Um, and it's kind of similar to Boston. It's like they still haven't really addressed their defensive issues from two years ago when they didn't, they didn't have Bufflin, they don't have Truba, they don't have Chiriot, um, and they don't have um, this other, oh, uh, Tyler Myers. Um, so, oh, by the way, Ben Sherratt plays on the Habs now. Yeah, yeah, right, good call. So the fact that it's, um, so like, yeah, you could probably make the case that like if the Jets had Shifley for the, the entire series, they may have figured things out and maybe won a game or two, but I don't know. It's tough to, it's, it's, that's like saying that, like, um, if the Bruins, if the Bruins Islanders series had, um, consistent referees, the Bruins would have won. Like that's like, you can't, you can't play that game. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think, uh, it's interesting. I think no one really expected the Winnipeg Jets to even get that far. Um, so, so they had a good season from that perspective, but, and we'll talk about the free agent stuff in a bit, but yeah, the fact that like, um, they, like, they need to get better on defense as well. It can't just be Connor Hellebuck as good as he is. Um, he can't just save you every single time, um, no matter what, what the forwards do too. I thought Paul Maurice's job was safe after the Edmonton sweep, and at the very least, it can be debated as to whether or not he should be the coach going into next season. Like, how much better are the Montreal Canadiens compared to the Edmonton Oilers, let's be honest? Right. Like, we all know that the Oilers had the best one-two punch in the league with McDavid and Dreisaitl. However, when you look at the overall team, the overall team that's constructed... The Habs, as you mentioned, they can get goals from the likes of Tyler Toffoli. They can get them from Josh Anderson. You have the young kids like Caulfield and Suzuki starting to contribute. You have playoff Jesperi Kakaniemi, not regular season Jesperi Kakaniemi. You've got playoff Kakaniemi going. You have depth defenders, like I mentioned, Joel Edmondson, Eric Gustafson showing up at key times in the playoffs, and Philip Deneau doing his thing, shutting down the opposing top lines which is great and jake allen at times during the regular season was good but he hasn't been able to play this postseason because price has been so darn fantastic for them but how you go in to round one against the oilers and have a solution for mcdavid and dry and yet you are just rendered useless against montreal like like how do you explain that like i know Mark Shifley's a good player. He's a good two-way player. And I don't care what he says. He didn't get shot down by Department of Player Safety. He shot down his team with that play. Right. But even if he plays and plays well, there's no guarantee with Mark Shifley the Jets win this series with the way they play. Games one and two are close. I will give Winnipeg credit. They played Montreal close. Could have gone either way the first two games. Game three... You cannot give up two short-handed goals to Joel Armia and a power play goal and expect to win that game. And get outshot and expect to win that game. Game four, your season on the line, second half of a back-to-back. You get outshot to oblivion in the third period, and if not for Connor Hellebuck, you don't even force overtime. And the first three minutes of the overtime, you lose. Like, how in... Those moments where you need to come up with something big 
You lay eggs. I just, I, I, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to look at some of the money makers and say, this guy could have done better. This guy could have done better. Like Pierre-Luc Dubois, let's start with him. One more season of $5 million before he turns into a restricted free agent. Again, went through a massive goal-scoring drought that I'm pretty sure is ongoing, and it was at like 20-plus games or something like that. Pretty crazy. And then you look at guys like Nikolai Ehlers, who had a pretty good regular season, under contract for another four years, at a generous cap of $6 million. Only one helper and a minus five in this series. Josh Morrissey. Winnipeg's best blue liner, seven years left at a cap hit of $6.25 million. By far the most term on the team, by far the highest payroll among Jets' blue liners. He gets one helper and played all four games of this series. Andrew Kopp stepped up his game in the regular season. They needed him to take that next step in the playoffs. Zeros across the board in all four games. Depth guys like Perot are good, but they're not going to be able to get the job done anymore. So you need guys like Andrew Kopp to make a statement there. And I know that Paul Stastny was good in his first stint with the Jets. He wasn't terrible, but he also, I don't think, was good enough. I I think he could have done more. And Kyle Connor. Signed for the next five years with a cap at just over $7 million. Lethal sniper. Everyone knows how good of a goal scorer he is. And he gets a goal and two assists in four games against the Habs. That's not bad because it led the team in scoring this series. Their leading score had three points in four games, which tells you right there, Winnipeg was doomed from the start. When you get three points in four games, that's about as many points as Tampa's leading score had when they got swept by Columbus in 2019. Yeah. And and that straight up can't happen for the Jets. And they need to really look at themselves and say, where do we need to improve? The good news for Winnipeg is they have a lot of money to sort around, and there are some guys, as we'll talk about later on, that can help them take that next step, but... I just feel, like you said, Brett, that void on defense really caught up to them in, in the second round. Yeah. And I, I think also the rust from the previous series didn't help because right. Montreal was battle-tested. They were fighting for their lives every single night against Toronto. And if the Winnipeg Jets could get the opening jump right off the hop against Montreal, maybe it's a different story. But Montreal, right in game one, they take a 3-1 lead in the first period. In the first period of that game, they're up 3-1. And they score the first goal within, like, what, the first five, six, seven minutes, something like this? Yeah. And they just continue to get on fast starts. You don't win too many games when you're playing from behind like that. Mm. And the Jets proved that once again. Um, I don't think they even had a single lead this entire series because they, did, yeah. they were always playing catch up. Yeah, I think they they I think I saw somewhere that the the Habs have haven't given up or haven't been behind in like five games. So yeah, that must be it. Um or six games or something like that, yeah. 
Um, By the way, pretty impressive. Five or six games. In. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I saw the stat. I, I know it's not as impressive when I don't know the, the exact stat, but it's something like that. Um, and, and what was really funny or questionable was uh, Connor, I don't know if you heard this, Steve, but Connor Hellbuck said in his post-game presser that the uh, Jets are nearing a dynasty. Um, so at least I, I admire I admire his optimism, <laughs> but I don't throw the word dynasty even after a team has yeah. won the Stanley Cup. I mean, it's just it's just. I was hesitant yeah. to say dynasty when the Kings won their second in three years. Yeah, well, I, I would I would argue they are, but um, yeah, the the fact the modern that modern dynasty, yeah, the old school dynasty. No, it was, it was just like it was strange because like it's not like the Jets like even if the Jets won a Stanley Cup. Like, that's not a dynasty either. I don't think Connor Hellebuck knows what a dynasty means. Yeah, um. <laughs> like, the Blues won a cup in 2019, and they haven't made it out of the first yeah. round in the past two years, and they've looked horrible yeah. in each of those series. So, and yet they're a dynasty. <laughs> maybe maybe he's he's thinking dynasty means just, like, at least, like, a cup where or, like, they make the conference finals every now and then. But, like, like still, <laughs> it's not like you're, the, yeah, you're at that at point least. either. Yeah. You have to have at least one Stanley Cup or yeah. at least a track record of making the finals or the yeah. conference finals even before you throw that around. Yeah. They've, they've only been to the conference finals once, and that was back in 2018. That was right. three years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, I, 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 again, I admire the optimism, but <laughs> they still have a lot of work to do before they can even utter that word. Right. Um, and also, I do want to mention uh, – Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, and Pierre Luc Dubois. I don't think they even scored. Like none of them scored at all um, in these four games. So, um, and those are like. I mean, I know Mark Scheifele being out uh, stinks and all that stuff. But, um, but like you would think that they would at least be, um, you know, like, like those are your top players even without Mark Scheifele that. It shouldn't have made that much of a difference if you don't have Mark Scheifele. Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor should get going. Um, and Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's like, that's one of those trades that, like, both both, both teams didn't um, didn't work out for as well because uh, Patrick Lyonet's not doing so hot in Columbus. Um, and, yeah, PLD didn't do so hot in his first year in Winnipeg. So, But, I mean, maybe a change of scenery, it, like, needs... Or maybe they just didn't get a custom right away. That's po- certainly possible or something for both of those guys. But anyways, um, in terms of free agents, uh, UFAs, we have uh, Paul Stasny, Mark, uh, Matthew Perot, uh, Nate Thompson, Trevor Lewis, uh, Dominique Tominito, uh, Ton- Toninato, sorry. Dominique Tominato, yeah. Um, Jordy Ben, Derek Forbert, Forbert. Uh, Tucker Pullman, um, and then on goalies on the goalie side of things, we have Lauren Forsois and Eric Comrie. As for RFAs, it's, it's just a short list here: Andrew Kopp, uh, Marco Dano, uh, Neil Pionk, and Logan Stanley. Um, so on that on that front, it feels like the RFAs are going to be more important than the UFAs, particularly Andrew Kopp and Neil Pionk. Um, and I guess Logan Stanley as well, because he had those two goals in game four, um, even though I guess he's going to be more known as a shutdown defenseman. But, but yeah, I think in terms of free agents, they're kind of in good shape. Um, I 
forget if it was it Dylan DeMillo who got injured or was it Forbert who got injured? Because I think I remember seeing someone saying that like you would think that like the loss of Forbert wouldn't destruct the the Jets, but like I think one of them played really well in the Edmonton series and then he got injured and then all of a sudden the Jets just no longer played well. It, but, it's just like the Brandon yeah. Carlos situation yeah. like we just in talked a, about. In a weird right? way, like yeah. if, if that's what it takes to derail your team. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's a good point. Um, do you have anything on what they should, the Jets should do in the offseason? I assume just defense, right? Focus on the defense. I think focus on the defense. Uh, maybe they're in the hunt for Philip Deneau, you know, as a yep. good two-way center to, to complement the Jets, maybe. Like, it, it never hurts to have two. He doesn't yep. have the offensive upside that Shifley has, but, I mean, still a pretty good player, pretty serviceable player. I think a better use of salary cap than Paul Stastny right now. I, yep. I just don't think Stastny has the offense to to kind of, like, complement the current pay. Right. But uh, Matthew Perot, he's had an unfortunate run with injuries. And um, I I've, I know Brian Little's under contract, but honestly, I, I'd I try to find a way to, to move that to, yep. to, to make some salary cap room. Thompson and Lewis, if they can hang on to them, great. Jordy Ben, same thing. I think it'll be cheaper than $2 million. I think it should be anyway. Yep. Uh, and Brassois, yeah, I think he's a serviceable backup to Hellebuck. But at the same time, if there's if there's a situation that works out and you can find a better goalie than Brassois, then, yeah. then take the chance. As for Comrie, well, you'll probably land on the waiver wire and they'll claim him somehow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, just always seems to find his way back there. Yeah, um, that's true. But but to your to your point about the RFAs, Cop uh, and uh, Pionk, they're going to be interesting cases because of the seasons they had. Yep. Uh, especially with Pionk at three million being one of their most serviceable offensive defensemen now, um, that'll be a really interesting situation. Maybe they go bridge. Maybe they go with a one year, or maybe they commit to him long term. We'll see. And or maybe they go out and try to find a a big name defenseman to solidify the top four. Who knows? That's something they've yep. been looking for since Buffalo left. So, right. Um, all right. Let's go to Carolina here. Um, oh, and I, I, I feel like uh, you mentioned Paul Stasny um, isn't yep. a good two two line second second line center. I feel like that's why they got Pierre Luc Dubois is so that he could be that second line center. It's just he hasn't lived up to that just yet. Yeah. Um. So maybe they they make those switches or you know if they decide to hold on to Paul Stasny, maybe like they make Stasny the third line center and Dubois. If they do hold the on to Stasny, he better be willing to take a pay cut because yep. he's not signing him at six million. Yeah, that that's totally understandable. Um. All right. Uh. We now go to the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, yeah, they, you know, they were an interesting team. Uh, they were the, the one seed, um, but they ended up losing to Tampa. But I, I don't know. I think a lot, like, they did end up losing in five games uh, to Tampa. But it didn't really feel like any of those games were, like, out of reach. Like, it felt like Carolina could have won a lot of those games. Um, yeah. It was, it was just that Tampa just ended up being too much and kind of, like, figured them out too early. I think what it really came down to, um, particularly, uh, I think it was game five, um, when it was, like, a crazy scoring game. No, 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 no. That was, was that? game four. Oh, was that game four? You won. You're right. You're right. That was game four. Uh, thanks there. 
Um, but, like, I think what stood out to me there was the fact that, like, um, you know, you put in uh, Peter Mrazek and he, he falls apart. Um, and, like, he did really well in game the previous game, so game three, um, when they won. But then he was just wildly inconsistent. Um, and then you put in Delkovich, and then, like, yeah, he, he had a great regular season, but he's still young. You have to remember that. he's I think he's, like, 22 years old or something like that. Um, let me look that up. 25. Okay, but it's still pretty young. Um, yeah, yeah. A, bit, a bit older than that, but, yeah, yeah doesn't have, probably has the NHL yeah. of the typical 22-year-old. And, and not to mention, and then you have, like, uh, James Reimer, but, like, you didn't even play at all this playoffs, which shows how much they they think of him. And, uh, like, it, should, it was just I very clear. More, yeah. more so what they think of Morazic and Delkovich, though. Right, right, true. Well, no, I, I think it also just shows how much they think about James Reimer because he played a, a little bit um, during the regular season. They just didn't show up, like, playing him in the playoffs. It's like you do have all these goalies, um, and they're aware that that's their downfall, um, and it ultimately it was, but, like, you can't put in James Reimer because, like, he, um, like, after Peter Morazic falls apart and then Delkovich falls apart twice, um, so it's like, why aren't you putting in James Reimer just to see what happens? Um, but so, so anyways, needless to say, it, it's very clear that yes, Sebastian Ajo is very, very good. Uh, Tavo Teravainen, Vincent Trocek, um, Andrei Svechnikov are, um, you know, all like players that you can build your team around in terms of like a core stuff. Dougie Hamilton, which we'll get into when we talk about UFAs, but, um, you know, it's very good on the on the other end of the ice, or, you know, backside of the ice. You have Jacob Slavin, Brady Shea, Jake Gardner, Brett Pesci, um, even Jake Bean, who, showed, like, who had kind of a breakout year this year. Um, you know, they have a really good defensive core. They have a good forwards, but they need to address this goaltending situation um, because I think that, like, if they had figured out their goalies, that's the that's the difference from them uh, beating the Tampa Bay Lightning um, and and making a, a pretty good shot at the um, at the Stanley Cup. So, so I think that and I guess the good news is, and we talked a lot about this, is that there's a lot of goaltenders out there. Um, so so maybe I think Carolina is going to try to get some some goaltender um, to to make some. Um, to replace them, and all four of their goaltenders are free agents this year. Although uh, Nedeljkovic is uh, RFA, which is interesting. Uh, although if he didn't play enough games, he could have been. Yeah, it, it was definitely possible. Yeah, <laughs> could have been a group six, but yep. uh, no, they they fortunately uh, retained his rights. Yep. I think it, it it all came down to an experience, Brett. And you're right. Game four was the turning point. Like when you get four goals on Vasilevsky, and it's only the second period. Yep. Like there's there's your opportunity to hammer it down and tie the series. But Tampa's been through the highs and lows. They've been through everything together, and they're just like, okay, I will score four straight goals and win the game, and they did. They right. won. And, and then they go into enemy territory and then take care of business. By the way, Andre Vasilevsky, <laughs> like, how can you make this up? 
Dude has three playoff shutouts. All of them are series clinchers, and yep. one of them clinched a Stanley Cup title. Like how? <laughs> yeah. Like how are you so efficient with where you get your shutouts? Like it's crazy. Yeah. Um, the other factor is home ice. Um, Carolina had home ice in this series. They went zero and three. Tampa beat them all three times. They were inside uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. So no storm surges there. No storm surges in sight at all. Um, but yeah, I think second period of game four is where the series was ultimately won. It was won by Tampa Bay. Um, it, it also doesn't help that Carolina was a bit too undisciplined against the Lightning. The last thing you want to do to Tampa Bay is give them a power play so they can burn you. <laughs> or even burn you twice. Maybe like uh, they maybe like um, on a single power play they can score like twice somehow. They're, they're that efficient. Um also, speaking of efficient, uh, getting the first goal, that would be efficient. Carolina only did the only did that twice in the playoffs, and they played 11 games. So nine of the 11 games, they were trailing from behind. They gave up the first goal. Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily good, e- even though um, they were playing up against Nashville, right? They, they even then they they had trouble finishing off Nashville in those double OT games and the games five and six that also went to overtime. They found a way to win those, which is good. But there were times in that game where Nashville was out in front, and uh, there's a little bit of uh, cause for concern there. And and I think those uh, inconsistencies in their game caught up to them when you face a team like Tampa Bay. That's can I say perfect? Like like Tampa, after going through what they went through in 2019, how they overcame that in 2020 and won it all, and now they're in the Final Four again this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really tough to go up against Tampa Bay and make as, as many mistakes as Carolina did and say, we found a way to beat them. It, it, it's not easy to beat a team like that. Yeah. You almost have to play a perfect game every single time. So I think it's a, another learning curve. It's it's obviously a tough learning curve, but even still, three series wins in the last three years is still more progress than I've seen out of this franchise in the last decade. Yeah. So definitely have something right. They have a lot going right for them. You look at the year Jordan Stahl had. My God, he had an awesome bounce back yeah, year. Trotek, same thing. After a rough couple of seasons battling injuries, he was good. Niederreiter bounced back to Aho continued to be Aho level good. Um, imagine if you get Sveshnikov and Tara Vinen, who was banged up for most of the year. Imagine you get those guys going, how good they could be. And they were still a first place team without that. And you look at the strides Martin Nekash made as well. Yep. And what Jake Bean could do for the future and. Um, what Morgan Geeky could potentially do and what Dominic Bach can do. And you also have Ryan Suzuki in the system. There's a lot to be excited about. And then you mentioned Alex Nedeljkovic. We're finally starting to see the NHL Alex Nedeljkovic that we were hoping to see many years ago. Right. And now that he's stepped up and delivered, um, even if Carolina goes out and gets a goalie, I think it would be a bad sign to commit to that goalie long term because I do think Nadelkovic can still be that guy for them. Yep. He just needs a bit more time to, to prove himself there. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to what Carolina does this year. It'll be an interesting offseason because they can go a bunch of different ways, but 
definitely they have the assets to make a couple of big splashes if they wanted to to really bolster their roster because i definitely think they're they're ready for that next step they just need they just need to make it basically yeah yeah i agree with that i I still feel like they're a young team and they they have a few more years in this window that they can win but um but yeah we'll see and that actually leads me to this next thing because they're off season they have a few uh free agents some that are rfas and one that's including their coach who's uh who still hasn't signed oh, his yeah, next I forgot contract. About Brindamore. yeah, yeah rod rod brendermore hasn't been signed yet i i would imagine he'll he'll still be on but you never know really like you know barry we said the same thing about barry trotz back in the day too so it's um so it could happen but i think that's like the only like known head coach free agent that I think I've seen in, in the off season. Maybe there's more that just their contract is let go, or I guess uh, John Tortorella was let go. But, um, but yeah, I, I, it is interesting to see what happens with that with Rob Brindamore. Um, but yeah, in terms of players and their free agencies, it's it's still pretty important too. Um, as for UFAs, uh, so you have Brock McGinn, Jordan Martinuk. Uh, who's assistant captain? Did you know that Jordan Martinuk is an assistant captain? I didn't know that. He's a heart and soul guy, you know. Yeah, I know, but I, I I didn't realize he was the like he was like an assistant captain type. Um, anyways, there, there's some there's some heart and soul guys that fill that role. Chris Neal in Ottawa, especially. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Um, but Chris Kelly back it, in the day, it doesn't happen often. No, but no. It, it's just it's just like you you're like oh he's a fourth liner. Yeah, it definitely yeah. definitely one of those names where if he was captain, you're just yeah. like, yeah, who would have guessed him? Right, 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 right. Um, Cedric Paquette um, is a UFA. Max McCormick and Drew Shore on the forward side of things. I, I, I alluded to it, but uh, Dougie Hamilton um, is probably the biggest UFA um, that they probably can't afford to lose, but it's definitely very possible that they do lose him because he's by far the best defenseman on the market. Um if he doesn't sign and he could make more than five million uh, this year, uh, then you also have Johnny Hockenpah, um, Joe Kim Ryan, and Roland McCallan. Um, and then as for UFAs, James Reimer, Peter Morazic, and Antoine Bibeau. Um, and then RFAs is, is also pretty significant too, because uh, I, I talked about Nedeljkovic. There's also Andrei Svechnikov. Um, who they need to sign, and then Morgan Geeky, Warren Fogel, uh, Jake Bean, who's another big one, and Maxime Ladrois um, are all RFAs. So, um, so yeah, I, I think like the way that this looks is that they really need to sign Dougie Hamilton, and then <laughs> and then they would be like out of their minds if they don't uh, sign Andrei Sveshnikov. Um, Alex Ndelkovich and uh, or uh, Jake Bean because those guys were pivotal players um, in the past couple of seasons and this season too and they're a big part of their future um, but Dougie Hamilton's someone that they should decide to keep um, and it, it makes me wonder if they maybe if they don't keep him um, which is definitely possible I wonder if they trade Dougie Hamilton because I'm sure someone would pay a lot in order to sign him um, so wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be funny if Mark Bershman just steps in and say, "Hey, who wants another offer sheet?" Right, Andre, <laughs> right, Andre, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that'd be funny. 
Um, but but I, I feel like, yes, they need to sign Rod Brindamore. They need to sign Svechnikov. They need to sign Dougie Hamilton. They need to sign Ndelkovic, and they need to sign Jake Bean. Those are four guys, or five guys that they need to to sign. And if they don't sign those guys, then, like, the Hurricanes are not going to be as good as they, they've been for the last couple of years. Um, luckily, three of those guys that I mentioned are RFAs, but if you don't have your head coach that got you there or your best defenseman that got you there, then um, you're kind of out of luck and you're going to be looking for those type of players um, or type of people um, for, for quite a while because it's not, it's not often that Dougie Hamilton, a guy like Dougie Hamilton, comes into your market. And this is coming from a Bruins fan, so, um, or, um, or Rod Brindamore, in fact, too. He's a, he's a good coach. This is one of those things where, like, they use the expansion draft as an opportunity to dump cap space. Right. And they have a lot of defensemen that are taking up some of the cap space that they can give to Dougie Hamilton. And I think one of Brady Shea, Brett Pesce, or Jake Gardner, or even two of those three, are probably going to be expendable as a result of that because you'd like to keep Dougie Hamilton. You're definitely not giving up Jacob Slavin. And Jake Bean's got a lot of upside. So I think out of those three names, um, they're probably going to be dangled in Trey bait or Seattle chatter in, in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, it's also worth noting Yanni Hockenpah, uh, we mentioned a, a while back on the podcast, Loki was one of the NHL's hits leaders. Not at the top of the list, but I would say top 10, top 15 only cost 750k this year. I'd bring him back on like a one-year, one million type of deal. That would be good for Carolina, I think. Would help on the physical side of things. Uh, it would be nice to keep Martinuk and McGinn just because they're heart and soul guys. And McGinn, his offense upside always seems to shine when it matters most. At the same time, though, um, I like Smashnikov even more. And I, I also think a little bit of a down year. Maybe they're hoping that will uh, yeah, I think it'll lower be. the value a little bit. But even still, it's probably going to cost like at least $5 million to keep them. Yeah. So you're going to have to find some sort of savings. And, of course, Nadelkovic, uh, they'll, they'll have to to keep him. Uh, Morazic, it's going to be interesting how they play that out um, based on the UFA goalies that are available. Um, but after what Nadelkovich has done, there's no way they bring Reimer back. I just can't see a Reimer reunion again next year. Yeah. Probably goes elsewhere. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I love how you called him Smashnikov. I, I'm going to keep that as a nickname. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional, but I, I like that. Name, no, so. no, I, it definitely wasn't. I, I don't, I may, maybe it sounded like that, but I don't think it I, I'm, I'm going to call him Smashnikov from now on. Um, <laughs> Smashnikov every time he scores a goal. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Smashnikov well, smash. It it works because he's like a power forward too, so it could work as like if he if he ever delivers a big hit or if he scores a big goal. Yeah, it, it works. It, it's like the Swedish law firm with Oliver Ekman Larson. It yeah. just catches him. Smashnikov, I love it. Um, okay. All right, so now we go to our last obituary, um, and this is. This is pretty surprising because I anointed the Colorado Avalanche as the Stanley Cup champion after round one. And that was a little bit uh, crazy of me. So, um, and they ended up, uh, once they started to beat the uh, uh, the St. Louis Blues, I guess, and then um, 
you know, the blues are aren't um are aren't as good as the Vegas Golden Knights apparently. Um, and even though Vegas could barely beat Minnesota, um, they ended up pulling it together. And um, after uh, two games, Vegas just figured them out. I think it was like um, credit to Vegas on on this entire series because like we talked about their shot clocks, uh, shot charts totals overall, but it seemed like they were able to effectively shut down Nathan McKinnon. Um, which is very impressive, um, and uh, I thought that like their center depth was going to be their their biggest downfall, but it didn't look it didn't appear that way. Um, Mark Andre Fleury standing on his head and all that stuff, but um, but yeah, I think this is like this is up there as like one of the worst losses compared to like Toronto and Edmonton. I knew you were gonna. Break well, I mean, I, I I did email you this when it when it happened. Yeah, but, no, I know that's but, what I was preparing. For. <laughs> um, but like the fact that like because we were going into this whole playoffs, we were expecting that Toronto was going to make it to the final four, and we thought that they were going to meet Edmonton in the final four, and that mm-hmm. ended up not happening. Um, and uh, but like even still, like Toronto, like. They get reverse swept. Edmonton uh, ends up getting swept. Whereas for Colorado, we were like, oh, so like they were able to go past the first round. So it's like you do have some hope. Like, yes, they probably haven't made it like very far after that. But um, with this team or this course or at least with uh, McKinnon in the lineup, um, like you're like, okay, like this this seems like it's the making that the Colorado Avalanche are going to win the cup because uh, this is just Nathan McKinnon's time. Um, and, um, and yeah, they looked like world beaters uh, the first six games, but they ended up losing. Their, like, once they started losing, the, the lost, lost game three, they just couldn't come back, and they couldn't battle through adversity. Um, and it, sh- it was just shocking, like, like I thought, like this game, this series was going Game Seven, regardless. But it was just shocking that like they just stopped playing the Colorado Avalanche that, that we just saw like two weeks ago, um, and and they just crumbled under pressure. Um, and you can't blame a Mark Scheifele injury. You can't blame a Brandon Carlo thing. You can't you can't blame like an injury to it. It's just they stopped playing like the way that we all expected them to do um and Vegas was just the better team um and that 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 just ultimately just became the the factor of it all and Colorado just ended up uh beating it into the ground there um I thought it was also notable that Nathan McKinnon said in his post game thing he was asked a ridiculous question but there was another uh, part that I think rung true was that like he's been in this league for nine years, and uh, he has no, not 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 uh, he's been in for eight going into year nine. Oh, he's going. In, I thought he said that he's been in for nine. Yeah, years. going. He said I'm he's going been, into my ninth okay, year, and this. I haven't won jack. Yeah, that was the quote. So like I mean, I think that's the right attitude, and that's not something like and. It, this is going to be kind of interesting because, like, I feel like he is comparable to McDavid and Matthews. Of course, McDavid and Matthews are a lot younger. Um, 
and there's, there's a different team situation involved with that too but like the fact that like I feel like there's so much pressure for Matthews and McDavid maybe it's because they're in a Canadian market and all that stuff but um like it doesn't feel like there's as much pressure for McKinnon um to get that cup when um when Matthews and McDavid get that question all the single time even though they're they're a couple of years younger than McKinnon so I find I find that kind of that dynamic a little bit interesting and I think like this is also going to be like maybe the first year where we start to wonder okay is McKinnon actually really that good if he can't perform in the playoffs um and yeah he I mean he he was pretty good against the Blues but um but when it matters in the playoffs it doesn't seem that way um and yeah he has a better supporting cast than the Leafs do and the Oilers do, I'll give you that, um, especially on the defensive side of things. But, like, like at the same time, like, McKinnon should be able to, like, if he's really the best player in the league or top, yeah, he's definitely top five, top three, um, he should be able to beat, like, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and whatever they throw at him. So, it's... Um, so I, I feel like the pressure is on for Nathan McKinnon. Um, and yeah, a lot of it has to do with the team, but I think like, um, I, 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 I'm curious to see how it, how it happens the next couple of times. He's still 25 years old, so he still has time to win one. Like I think we mentioned this last week when we were talking about um, the Oilers, is like Geiserman won when he was 29. His first cup was in tw- when he was 29 years old. So. Uh, McKinnon's 25. He still has some time left, but um, but yeah, it does make you wonder. Um, and, and what's what's yeah, like? Not everyone's gonna be like Crosby. They win before they turn 25, right? right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Yeah, sorry. Um, so we'll get into UFAs like we've done for the other ones in a bit. But what what else do you have on the Colorado Avalanche? Well, I get the frustration from Nathan McKinnon because this is the third straight second-round loss for the Avs. Uh, as you remember, in 2019, they fell to San Jose in seven games. There was that OT heartbreaker in seven games to Dallas last year. That year, they were banged up, and they fought and clawed their way there just, just to get to a game seven. And they were able to, to make that game close, but they lost 5-4 with Michael Hutchinson in net, I might add. And then uh, this this was probably their their toughest loss and definitely their worst loss of the three. And it was a six-game loss at the hands of the Vegas Golden Knights, a series where Colorado led two games to none. That doesn't mean it's worse than what Edmonton and Toronto have done. And I'll explain. Vegas and Colorado were jousting for top spot in the NHL standings. Forget their division. Yes, they were battling for that too. They were battling for top spot in the league. So it's not like they're facing an on-the-fringe Winnipeg team or an on-the-fringe Montreal team. They're facing, like, the cream of the crop here in round two. And you can fault power play effectiveness all you want, but give credit to Vegas for containing uh, Colorado's power play. And by containing them, I mean giving them pretty much nothing to work with. Like, you look at the first two games, Colorado had 11 power play attempts capped off by, I think... Four attempts in the first period of game two alone. And in the following four games, the Avs had six. 
six power play opportunities and scored on two of them. So, yeah, they scored two power play goals in the following four games. Well, they only had six chances. Like, easiest way to make sure Colorado's power play doesn't do something, don't give them something to do. Don't don't get them busy. Um, I think this series was ultimately won and lost in game three. And it's period three of game three with Colorado up two to one. Six or seven minutes left in regulation. If the Avs win this game, they're up three nothing in the series. I don't think they get reverse swept, lose four straight against Vegas. I think they find a way at some point to win that series. Yeah. But at that point, it's two nothing, and Vegas still has a little bit of life. They need something going, but they they are six or seven minutes away from going down three nothing. Jonathan Marchessault so up until that point didn't really have anything offensively, and a shot on goal. Great save by Philip Grubauer. Puck goes behind the net. Marches so from behind the net. Split second. Puts the biscuit off of Grubauer's butt. And it goes in. Tie game. And then like a minute later, Patrick scores to make it 3-2. Vegas comes back, takes game three. All of a sudden, it's not a 3-0 seriously for Colorado. It's 2-1. That kick starts game four. Vegas wins. Game five. Vegas comes back to win in overtime. Thanks to Mark Stone. Game six, wild, crazy contest early on. Vegas finds a way to win that one as well. William Carlson said that goal by Marchessault to make it 2-2 in game three was a big goal and said only time will tell how big that goal will be. It won them the series is what it did. That goal turned that series around, and it's crazy, just absolutely crazy how momentum just totally swing for or against a single NHL team just with a matter of seconds or a couple of breakdowns, defensive turnovers and management of momentum is something that Colorado wasn't able to manage. Um, Obviously that game three loss hurt, but there were other situations where they struggled to manage momentum game five where Mark Stone scores the OT winner. Vegas is down two nothing going into the third. And within a span of five minutes, I think the first five, six, seven minutes, they score twice and they tie it. Yeah. And then later win the game in overtime. Game six, Colorado. First shot of the game, they score. Vegas, what do they do? First shot of the game, they tie it up. And they eventually win 6-3. So it's not like Colorado doesn't have the killer instinct like Toronto doesn't have or Edmonton doesn't have. They had it in game one. They had it throughout the St. Louis series. It's just, you're right, in those big moments, game six or game seven where you need a big play, it didn't happen. Nathan McKinnon it was on just an absolute rampage in last year's playoffs, but one game he goes pointless, game seven where his team gets knocked out by Dallas in round two. And down the stretch of this series, contained by the Vegas Golden Knights. And you look at his playoff resume and, Miko Rantanen on this, like, 16-game point streak in the playoffs or something that dates back to last season. It's insane. On on, on the track record, McKinnon and Rantanen, I would argue, have delivered more than all of the Maple Leafs and Oilers stars put together. Yeah. But it, it just hasn't worked out because Colorado... For whatever reason, they can't find that killer instinct consistently. And that's what killed them, 
It's not that Colorado didn't have the pieces. They did have the pieces to win. It's just when it mattered most, they couldn't get it done. And that's what teams have to go through. Like like we mentioned with Detroit, like we mentioned with Tampa Bay uh, in recent years, winning doesn't come easy. Sometimes you have to take a couple lumps before you finally win the big prize, the big trophy. And that big trophy is still within reach with this group. But um, Joe Sackick's going to have a lot of tough decisions to make because, um, like Carolina, there there are some free agency decisions that are that are, that are going to be tough to manage. And I know that Kadri's suspension didn't help, and Eric Johnson being injured for most of the year didn't help them, and relying on Drew Bauer throughout round two didn't help. But even then, I thought the Avs' chances were pretty good of advancing. Um, it's it's just those intangibles that they haven't acquired that's holding them back. Yep. Uh, for the record, the reason why I compare them to Toronto and Edmonton is because like there was a lot expected of them based off yeah. of their regular season. They all have like superstars in their lineup. Um, and they're and, all nominated for the Hart Trophy, yeah. McKinnon, uh, McDavid, yeah. and Matthews. Uh, yeah. Um, and um, and yeah, and they all like lost like uh, like uh, they all lost in embarrass in an embarrassing way this time. Around, and, so. and none of them have ever been yeah. to the conference finals. Yeah, um, and you know, I would, and I would. The answer to me is like, I, I guess you have a point that like, the Oilers didn't even win a game, but I, I feel like the the Maple Leafs are probably more disappointing just based off of the fact that they got reverse swept. Um, I feel like that's that's much worse than, um, than the Edmonton Oilers. We talked about this last week too, but. Um, yeah. but like you would like, cause at least for the, like the Maple Leafs, it's like they had some false hope. Whereas like the Edmonton Oilers just had no hope all had all whatsoever, um, going on during that time. And then for the Avalanche, it's, I, I think Toronto, it's near Toronto. Um, but if Toronto didn't have the history the way that they would, I probably would have gone with Colorado because Colorado, like. It was looking like they were they were going to go sixteen and zero throughout this whole playoffs. Um, they were that yeah. good. So although I, again picking this Vegas series, it's a coin flip. Honestly, right. like yeah, these fair. teams are neck and neck throughout the regular season. It didn't surprise me that Vegas came back the way they did because they're such a resilient group and they they're just as talented as Colorado is offensively, defensively between the pipes. Yep. Um, and definitely Flurry making more big saves in Grubauer when it counted, that, that definitely swayed the momentum. But again, if Colorado goes up 3-0, I don't know if we think of the Avalanche the same way. Right. I, I think if Game 3 goes differently, uh, we're probably talking about the Avs in the conference finals instead. Yep, that's, that's totally fair. Um, Alright, let's go to the UFAs here that they have. Um, there's a couple of big ones, big names here. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog on the forward group is probably the biggest one. Um, their captain. Uh, Brandon Saad all, as well. Pierre Edouard Belmar, Carl Soderberg, Ty Tynan, t- sorry, TJ Tynan, uh, <laughs> Mika Salamaki, Jason Megma, and uh, Liam O'Brien are also UFAs on the forward group. Um, as for defense, um, UFAs are Patrick Nemeth, Patrick Nemeth, uh, Daniel Renoff, Kyle Burrows, 
Um, and then goalies, we've talked about this before, but Philip Grubauer is a UFA, Devin Dubnik, and Jonas Johansson are all UFAs. As for RFAs, probably the biggest one is Kale McCarr, um, Connor Timmins, and Dennis Gilbert on the defensive side of things as well. Um, and then for forwards group, you have Tyson Jost, uh, Kiefer Sherwood, and then on the goalie side of things, you have Adam Warner. Um, so, so yeah, I think like the, the things that they should address, and I would imagine Landis Skog stays at, in Colorado, um, and maybe they find someone else who, uh, other than Grubauer, although at times Grubauer wasn't the issue, but I feel like Grubauer could get more than what he has right now, and that's something that Colorado can't necessarily afford. Um, so maybe he's off just from circumstances, um, but but maybe they make a play or something, or they get lucky from Seattle and they take someone like Ryan Graves or something, um, or or Eric Johnson off their hands or something like that. Um, so, um, um, in terms of the cap situation, but yeah, I think the, the priorities will be obviously to make sure Kale McCarr gets signed and Gabriel Landeskog. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if Grubauer is the guy, um, maybe he could be, but, um, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like he's going to get, he's going to be overpaid in this, um, in the market. Um, even though he is good and he did play well this, this whole year, but I wonder if uh, a team's going to overpay for him. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see how um, Colorado and Joe Sackett handle that situation because I definitely think, as you mentioned, Brett, with the intangibles, Landis Gog and McCarr are the intangibles. Like, yeah, Connor Timmons is pretty good, and you, you look at all the other defensemen that Colorado has, but Kale McCarr is a different beast. Yep. And then you add Bowen Byron to the next two. Like, man, you've got yourself one heck of a defense core there. Um, Brandon Saad, I definitely don't see him coming back. Not that he was bad because the price tag and to sign Landis Cog, Makar, and Grubauer and find space for all three, not going to be easy. Um, if they don't keep Grubauer and they get a cheap short-term option between the pipes, uh, again, I, I keep mentioning a Blake Coleman <laughs> maybe in Colorado, like... We talk a lot about their depth. He, he could fit there. I'm just yeah. saying, could be a very solid fit for them. Um, so yeah, they're they're going to be another on the list of teams that I'm I'm really intrigued to watch and see what they do. Um, but the real the real test is going to be in two years when you have Nathan McKinnon as a restric- unrestricted free agent, and that's where. I'm really, really careful with what how I handle the Kale McCarr situation. Because the last thing you want to do is be in a situation where McKinnon and McCarr's contracts are expiring around the same time. Yep. I want to avoid that as much as possible if I'm Colorado. So I don't know if I go for a two-year or a three-year bridge, maybe four um, but but if you can, why why not commit? Why not go long term? And at least you know what cap you have to work around and what adjustments you need to make. Um, so I, I don't. That's why I don't see a short term bridge deal for Kiel McCarr is because you have the McKinnon situation over your head as well. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I feel like the priorities are Makar and Landis Scott, but yeah, you're right. I think, like, obviously, they're going to have to figure out what they do with McKinnon because he has the best contract in the league, but yeah. once he becomes a free agent, he's probably going to be the highest-paid player. Um, so... Uh, I, I wouldn't say highest paid, but, like, he's making at least 10 mil. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. That would be close to the highest paid, but yes. Um... All right, uh, so now we're, go- we're finally going to previews here. <laughs> um, so we're, the first team that we're going to talk about is the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning versus the New York Islanders. This game just happened. Um, I feel like I might be breaking news to you, Steve, but the Islanders ended up winning um, 2-1, so that uh, they won game one. Um, yeah, I know. I know it was two nothing. So yeah. Tampa made it close near the end. Yes. Um, and it, it should also be mentioned, yeah. by the way, Brett. Remember how uh, how this series la- uh, started um, last yeah. year? I, Tampa I was, smoked the Islanders out of uh, out of Emily Arena in Game One. I think it was like eight one. Well, or something. it was a bubble. It was the bubble yeah. tournament. It wasn't in in Tampa. Right. Okay. Well, either way, game game one of round three last year. Yep. Um, Tampa just smoked them. Yep. And like really took control of that series. So it was great that the Islanders were able to, at, at very at the very least, make it close and yeah, get come out with a win because I I feel like it would be a lot tougher to beat Tampa when you play from behind right away. Yep. And I and because I was curious, I just wanted to look at the penalties here. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Did the Saints get any favorable calls today? Uh, well, I, I, I mean, I haven't seen any of these calls, but it is notable that so it was. It ended up being Tampa got penalized four times. Uh, the Islanders got penalized three times, but like okay. the first eight seconds of the game, Goudreau and Martin, Matt Martin, got an unsportsmanlike conduct at the same time. So. Um, <laughs> So that, that kind of cancels out. But if so, if you disregard those, it's three to two. Uh, Tampa got uh, got uh, three more calls, three calls, and then the Islanders got two. Um, but yeah, it, it it doesn't really end up mattering, I guess. Um, the grand scheme of things. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's interesting. I did see that the goal that uh, the second goal. Um, where Ryan Pulak's shot from, like, the blue line. Um, and uh, that was something that Vasilevsky should have had. Um, so, anyways, um, yeah, this should be actually an interesting matchup because I think, uh, you know, Tampa Bay has, like, has been killing it so far. Just, like, they've overpowered Florida. They overpowered Carolina just on pure offense. And, you know, of course, Vasilevsky's, like, one if not the best goaltender in the league right now, um, he's one of them, certainly. Um, so it's, um, so like, you know, you can't beat them by just like, um, but which is like, as opposed to like the New York Islanders who just focus on shutting you down and then hope that they can score. Um, and that's just how they beat you. They get all the luck, but like it works. It's, it's not luck if it works. So, um, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like you're, you're going to be shocked by this. I, I think I'm going to go with the Islanders in seven. 
they've gone into. I, 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 yeah, the, the, you can say that they've incepted my brain, but yes, I, I think the Islanders are going to win um, in seven. So, so, in a, so in a situation of the team that recently knocked off your Bruins versus the previous team that knocked off your Bruins, you're going with the latest team to knock off your Bruins. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yes, that's how it ends up working. I mean, I'm not going to watch most of this series because of that, <laughs> but I, I, I think the Islanders were... Like what they did was impressive. I so I have to credit them. I get you know I gave Tampa three games. They're gonna win three games, but um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. I I think the Islanders are just they have a good system in place and they they know what it takes and um and they're what yeah and as you mentioned they played last year um but you know and they lost in six games to the Lightning but um it was just the you know, I think the the Islanders have kind of like learned, like, okay, we're not, we've learned what what's going to happen, and yeah, I think the Islanders are, at least they're gonna make it into a series, and I mean, they already did when they won Game One, but but yeah, I I, I think the Islanders are gonna win this series. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. Uh, just just a little bit of a backstory. Um, so we all know Tampa prevailed in six games last year during the Eastern Conference Finals 2020. An OT goal for the Islanders, though, could have forced game seven uh, in that series. So that series was pretty close. Second straight Conference Finals matchup between these two teams. Um, this would also be the second straight Conference Finals, or uh, sorry, second straight Finals appearance if Tampa wins this series. Uh, New York uh, is just frankly happy to be here because this is the third straight year they've made it uh, to round two. Um, so I, I think both teams are definitely deserving to be at this stage. Uh, New York obviously gets a major advantage if they get into Vasilevsky's kitchen. The fact that Pulak scored that goal, I would classify that as a big break for them, um, especially when you consider that the Islanders can win with either Barlamov or Sorokin in net. It should be noted, we haven't seen Curtis McElhinney once in these playoffs, and when we see him in the regular season, he hasn't really been that good. Yeah. So if they have to turn to him, it could go south for Tampa real quick. And it's something I've brought up in the Florida series and in the Carolina series, uh, getting to Vasilevsky something that hasn't happened yet. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds in game two. I think Tampa will win in seven, but I won't be shocked at all if the Islanders are able to pull this off. They have as good a chance as any team to win this series. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's what happens. That's basically what we're saying whenever we pick a team in seven. It's like, we wouldn't be surprised if the other team wins. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe it's recency bias for, for me, but, yeah, I, I think the Islanders are going to win in game seven. I, I just yeah. thought Carolina had what it takes to, to make yep. it past Tampa Bay, and then the champs I mean, prove why they're the champs. So until someone proves me otherwise, I, I think i got to go with the champs in this scenario. But it, this little series uh, definitely has the makings of going the distance. And I definitely – it wouldn't surprise me given how well the Islanders battled the Lightning last year, especially if they get off to a good start, they have a legit chance of pulling yeah. this off. It won't be um, – it, it won't be, like, the most shocking upset ever. Like, the yeah. Islanders are a very strong four seed. They proved it all year. The Lightning, by the way, you look at the record, it would probably be good enough to win most divisions. 
they're actually the third seed in their division, so this is actually a three versus four matchup when, when you think about it. So, um, yeah, it's it, it should it should be an interesting series. I'm also hoping Tampa because the last thing I want is a boring Stanley Cup final matchup. Yeah, like Tampa and Vegas is probably the best chance we have in an entertaining final right now. And no disrespect to Montreal or the Islanders, but who wants that as the finals? In right. terms of value, who wants Montreal and the Islanders? I don't think anyone does. Yeah. If you're looking for pure entertainment, Tampa and Vegas will they'll definitely have they'll definitely deliver a good chance of that. I don't know if it's guaranteed. Yeah. But they definitely have a better chance of delivering a good entertaining series than Montreal and the Islanders do. So it's, that's what I'm hoping for. It's funny because usually, usually I root for the four seeds on both, yeah. uh, or like the underdogs, whenever I don't have a rooting interest. However, like the four seeds in, in the, the remaining four seeds right now are the team that just beat my team and the Montreal Canadiens, which is the team that I'll <laughs> never root for. I actually I keep on seeing some Bruins fans who are saying like go Habs and like you just like remove your Bruins fandom like I, I just like don't like I don't care it's just you just don't um, but um, but yeah so but it is interesting that I feel like this is probably one of the first times when I am kind of rooting for the um, the top seeds although I don't really want Tampa to go far either so <laughs> um, so yeah I don't know. Um, that brings us to the next series, uh, which is Vegas, Montreal, or better known as the Nick Suzuki, Max Pacioretty, uh, revenge game series. Um, yeah, by the way, yeah. both four, uh, there are, two, we have two four seeds in yep. the conference finals. I just realized. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then a one, yeah, we don't even have a one seed cause, uh, yeah, no Vegas, yep. Vegas is a solid two yep. and, uh, Stambo Tampa was a three. solid three. Yeah. And then the Islanders and the Habs are both four seeds. Yep. Um, also, something that because I I was like I knew that this Nick Suzuki Max Pacioretty thing, so I wanted to like look at what that trade actually ended up being, um, which yeah. I'll get to in a second. But I didn't realize this that Nick. So I went to Hockey DB where they have like the trade discussion stuff, but I didn't realize this yeah. before. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but when Vegas got that pick to select Nick Suzuki originally it was um with the Winnipeg Jets um and um and uh so so they ended up trading that for uh, I guess a pick in the um uh, like they just swap picked or something so the Jets ended up picking Christian Veselainen but that would have been where they selected uh Nick Suzuki originally um, so that's interesting that like Montreal played Winnipeg, where technically speaking, Nick Suzuki was a part of the Winnipeg Jets, and now Nick Suzuki is <laughs> playing the other team that he actually played. A f- uh, well, I guess he never actually played. Yeah, never game, played. But got drafted and never played. But yeah, yeah. Although he played one playoff game for the Chicago Wolves, um, which is interesting. Okay. Um, but um, but yeah. So, anyways, um. The, that trade ended up so it was Max Pacioretty, um, and Vegas got um, or so Montreal got Thomas Tatar, Nick Suzuki, yeah. um, and then a round two pick in twenty nineteen, which I guess 
uh, they traded to uh, the L.A. because that was that ended up being Samuel Fajimo, who's now an L.A. Kings prospect. Okay. Um, Decent prospect. Yeah, but it was Tatar, Nick Suzuki, and Samuel Fajimo, or just a pick, um, for Max Pacioretty. Um, which is interesting, but, uh, anyways, <laughs> we're, we're talking about the actual, uh, game now. Um, yeah, this is, this should be interesting. I, like, I, I think there's a lot that's been said before about, like, how, like, Toronto lost John Tavares in game one. Um, the Jets lost Mark Shifley in a different way than they lost, you know, um, John Tavares in, in game one. So, Montreal has never played the first line center of their opposing team, and that may have made a big difference in the grand scheme of things. But um, you know, you can't really play that game again. But uh, the thing with Vegas is they don't really have a top line center, um, which I've been saying forever. Um, I mean, but I am curious to see if like some like you know mark stone or max petretti does something stupid in game one or or gets or one of them or a significant injury happens or something like that but um that so in that sense montreal got lucky but at the same time montreal has been able to like play into this like that like no one believed in us they ended up you know ever since they they were down three nothing in toronto they haven't looked back since they definitely they were by far the best team in those four games. Um, having said that, Vegas was unbelievable against Colorado. Um, they, like as I kept on mentioning, their shot charts totals were phenomenal. They kept on like putting in forty shots in like th- in the third period, like in three periods and stuff like that. So, um, and that's you know unusual and stuff like that. So. And also, Mark Andre Fleury's been standing on his head this entire time. Um, he'll probably get the Con Smith if, if Vegas does end up winning this cup. But um, which is why I think I'm going to go with Vegas in seven as well. Um, I I think look Montreal will definitely still bring it, um, and I I don't want to discredit Montreal at all because they definitely deserve to be here, but. Um, but yeah, I think Vegas is the better team, and that will ultimately win out um, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I like this matchup just because it's so unorthodox. Like in every other yep. year, this would be a Stanley Cup Finals matchup because right. Vegas is pretty far west, and Montreal is yep. well very far away from Vegas. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> fair yeah. it's fair to say that this will never be a playoff matchup again. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe if they meet at the Stanley Cup Finals. Unless it's a Stanley Cup Finals matchup. Yeah, but. right. But, like, yeah. opposing conferences, like, from yeah. this far opposing conferences, meeting yeah. up like this in a series that's not the Stanley Cup right. Finals, also like again, Also, like, Montreal's an original six team, or one of the first teams even, and, like, Vegas is the last team, like, the last, the newest team in the NHL before Seattle gets in. So it's like there's also that dynamic too. It's just like from a franchise perspective too. Yeah, they're they're already trying to create like a Habs dynasty, I guess. Yeah. Um, Who or, are you, Connor Hellebuck? Or, or, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or at the or at the very least, like a mighty empire that is like good every year, but right. 
maybe someday we'll win a Stanley Cup. Uh, so this this is actually though this is impressive because this is the second straight year Vegas has been to the Final Four, and it's also their third Final Four appearance in NHL history. This is their fourth year. Yeah. So it's one thing to make the playoffs in all four years to be in three conference finals and two straight conference finals, like. Like, you have no idea the struggles of an expansion team because everything is just so hunky-dory for you. It's incredible how good it's been for them. Um, so so I, I, I kind of find that interesting just because the Habs are so filled with the rich history of winning, you know? that That's why it's kind of fitting. Um, but the, the Montreal Canadiens have actually waited a fair bit to get to this point because in 2014, that was the last time they were – in uh, this situation in the Final Four. They were defeated by the Rangers in six games, and of course, as we all remember, Kerry Price got hurt by Chris Kreider. He doesn't have to worry about Chris Kreider. He does have to worry about Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, who in 2015 were on opposite sides. Stone was still in Ottawa. Pacioretty was still a half. But now they're teammates, and they're going up against Kerry Price. And I will say this for Vegas. They have a tendency at times to get goalied in the playoffs. They cannot get goalied in this series. This is the worst case scenario if they get goalied by Gary Price. Um, and I, I will go a step further and say, if for whatever reason the Habs win this series, they are a team of destiny and not even Tampa is taking them down. They are going to go all the way and win the Stanley Cup, which I know Brett loves to hear. <laughs> Just kidding. He, doesn't. he probably hates that. Um, but my prediction is for the record, Vegas in six games. But again, if Montreal wins, they're a team of destiny and no one's stopping them. Okay, so yeah, so I guess we got kind of has similar predictions there too. Um, yeah. Similar ish, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so that's about it for us here. Um, enjoy the rest of hockey. There's only, I think there's a guaranteed. 20, 20 playoff games left if, if the, all these games go to seven. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so enjoy them because then we'll have summer. I mean, I guess it'll be a shorter offseason. It'll be a shorter than normal summer, yeah. But, but still, we're back like, October. still um, there's going to be a long break from it. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so, yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, you can follow us. On Twitter at Lace Up Podcast, you can uh, follow us on Facebook at Lace Them Up. Our our um, our SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes are Lace Them Up. Please subscribe there. Uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 274 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. <laughs>